Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. Each week, we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy. Plus, you can even earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so let us bring the learning to you. Click on Claim CE Credit in the show notes below. Now let's welcome our host, Jeff Wall, as he discusses this week's clinical practice game changer. Hello and welcome again to Game Changers Clinical Conversations. How you doing? My name is Jeff Wall. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice at Drake University and welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to talk about a paper that has definitely been making the rounds on social media and is, is raised, you know, I think a decades old question about uh, statin use in diabetics, right? So the paper's actually, it, it's published online right now in Janet, JAM Internal Medicine, published online October 4th, I see. And the question it uh, tries to ask or answer is the association of statin therapy with diabetes progression. So statins, of course, you know, are now almost ubiquitous. It seems that they help almost everybody we put on them, it, it seems like. And, and certainly in patients who have known cardiovascular disease, the benefits are legion and have been documented in many, many randomized controlled trials. We know that they generally decrease bad outcomes, both, you know, heart attacks and strokes and cardiovascular mortality and all sorts of other things by about a relative risk of 30%. And so, I mean, you know, the benefit is so well-known that I don't think there'll ever be a study again, for example, in patients with cardiovascular disease with, say, a new lipid-lowering medication where they won't be able to have patients on statins because that's just not the standard of care, and it would be unethical now in a patient who had a heart attack two years ago to randomize them to be not on statins. I mean, that's that's how, how ingrained in our treatment processes they become. But like all older drugs, their statins have had some, some uh, safety issues that have kind of had some questions about them for years, and I'm not talking necessarily about you know, the muscle weakness and the, and the myalgias and the liver function stuff. But, you know, for a long time, it was thought when statins first came out that lowering LDL too much would increase the risk of dementia or other brain problems because, of course, you need cholesterol to make myelin cheese. And so there was this thought that, oh, if we drive people's cholesterol down too much, that, that could cause that. And, you know, a couple of retrospective studies said maybe, and then more larger studies suggested no. And I think that one's been pretty, pretty much been put to bed. But another potential safety issue of statins that really hasn't been put to bed, I don't think, is the potential of statins to increase insulin resistance and perhaps make things more difficult for blood glucose control for people with diabetes. I think the question of whether they cause diabetes, I think, is not what this paper is trying to answer. And I don't think there's a lot of data out there suggesting that being put on statins causes type 2 diabetes or causes insulin resistance to that level. But there has been, you know, several cohort studies over the last 20, 25 years, and even some randomized control trials, where that wasn't their primary thing they were looking at. But one of the safety outcomes in these RCTs was basically looking at blood glucose levels and hemoglobin A1Cs. And on the whole, many cohort studies and many even retrospective prospective studies have found basically that that yes it seems in some patients that statin can statins can increase statin resistance can mildly increase hemoglobin a1c's and in, in fact the biggest study that we've looked at found that the increase in hemoglobin a1c was only about 0.08 percent so uh, they found that the increase in hemoglobin a1c in a study with resuvastatin was 0.3 in that group compared to 0.22 in the placebo group. And it was statistically significant in that. But again, I think clinically, one would argue, you know, one wonders how clinically significant that is. So there's been this thing that kind of is kind of dog statins about, you know, gee, if they increase insulin resistance, 
what's the real net benefit in patients with diabetes or patients with maybe pre-diabetes that this might push them over in, in, into full-blown diabetes. And so that's where the study kind of comes in. They do mention, and, and this is a study done in the VA system and actually done from uh, the Texas VA system is kind of where, where it was launched, but it's using you know VA data from, of course, all over the United States. And the authors in, in the paper basically point out that if, in fact, there is a significant increase in insulin resistance in these patients, it really deserves further study because while we know, again, beyond a doubt that statins improve outcomes in secondary prevention, most guidelines currently recommend that even for primary prevention, that patients with diabetes should probably be on a statin, even if they've not have known history of cardiovascular disease. And, and again, there's, there's randomized control trial data that suggests that's beneficial, but those studies probably did not look very hard at what they're going to look at in this study, which is basically diabetes control. And so because of that, and because other studies may have had confounders, they decided to try and, and, and take a swing at this by taking a very elegant, in my opinion, study in a cohort study done through the VA system, basically. So that's the study that was published again on October 4th in, in, uh, in JAMA Internal Medicine, and we'll have a link to that in, in our show notes. So again, like most you know, adverse drug reaction studies, you know, it would never be ethical to do a randomized controlled trial to see if somebody has a side effect of something. So usually most of the data you're going to get is either, you know, a, a secondary primary outcome from an RCT, or in this case, a gigantic retrospective matched cohort study that basically used all the data from patients in the VA. And of course, as many of you know, the VA system has long had a very robust data analytics system, and they're able, you're able to, to extract tons and tons of data from VA patients. And so, you know, again, that kind of makes sense that this would be the data that they would, they would use. Basically, they did use the reporting of observational studies in epidemiology or the strobe guidelines uh, for, for designing the study. And again, I think this was a, a fairly elegant study is how they, how they set it up. And so what they did was in, yeah, they had an, an overall cohort of patients who were in the National VA data warehouse from 2003 to 2015. Again, this data set has an, just an unbelievable amount of, of information in it. And they extracted this data uh, using, uh, again, a data analytics algorithm. The overall cohort included patients who met uh, the following criteria. They were over age 30 at the index date of the, in that date range and were regular VA health system users. And that basically meant at least one VA encounter blood pressure weight uh, measurements, a VA a pharmacy dispensing a medication for them, or laboratory data. And that's what they meant. If they had those, then they were considered regular VA system users. As, as you know, many VA veterans will use the VA for some of their health care, but not necessarily all their health care. So, and then they basically divided this giant data set they had into a, an, kind of an elegant thing. They did an active comparator new user design. And the reason they did that is to try and minimize confounders. We know that if you just look at patients with and without out something that that can increase uh, confounding by indication. It can also increase a mortal time bias. Of course, those are always problems in retrospective studies. So they tried to minimize it. They couldn't eliminate it, obviously, but they tried, they tried to minimize that by this active comparator design. So they wanted to look at two groups. The first group was the statin user group, and this was composed of patients who had initiated statin therapy in the study period. And then their active comparator group was, a, was patients who initiated an H2 blocker or proton pump inhibitor group and were not concurrently prescribed a statin. So again, that active comparator is basically you know, these are still people who are going to be seen in the VA. There's still people who are going to be seen regularly by healthcare providers, you know, and that can help decrease compounding by indication. 
and I think to an extent, a moral time bias as well. And so that, so that I think that was kind of an elegant way to help kind of minimize that, that sort of thing. They go into some detail, of course, about what about patients who were on an H2 blocker PPI in the active comparator group, but then halfway through the, the study period started a statin. And in those patients, they usually switch them over to the statin group, et cetera, et cetera, and try to do that to, again, to try and minimize confounders in, in this data set as much as possible. Then they, they look at the baseline period, which was used to describe all the baseline characteristics was the year before the index date. Obviously, we're going to want to make sure that the baseline characteristics between the H2 blocker PPI group is similar to the statin group. And they excluded patients who had fewer than 60 days follow-up just because they felt like within 60 days, any statin exposure leading to diabetes progression or problems would be pretty unlikely, which of course I think makes sense. Where this study is different than other cohort studies that have tried to look at the relationship between uh, diabetes and statins is that their pre-specified outcome was not hemoglobin A1C. It wasn't anything along those lines. It was a dichotomous out composite outcome that looked at first therapy intensification. So patients who had to have their diabetes uh, regimen increased, and that includes starting new insulins for the follow-up period, or just an increased number of glucose-lowering medication classes during that study period and new persistent hyperglycemia or acute glycemic complications. They come up with kind of their own definition of what they considered acute glycemic uh, complications or acute persistent hyperglycemia, and that included the presence of five or more measurements of blood glucose levels of over 200, receiving a new diagnosis of DKA or uncontrolled diabetes during the follow-up, and if they had either of those, that was basically considered a progression of somebody's diabetes, including, again, a new diagnosis of DKA. They used ICD-9 codes to kind of get all that information. For secondary outcomes, they had several of them. The first was the individual components of that diabetes progression outcome. So, you know, the five blood glucose or 200, all that sort of stuff. Second, they looked in the difference in the number of glucose lowering medication classes ever used during the follow-up period by each individual. Third, proportion of patients with a decreased number of glucose lowering medications during follow-up and last the uh, change in mean blood glucose during follow-up versus baseline. So now we have these kind of two big groups. They calculated to make sure that they were kind of equally sick are equally comorbid, if you might say. They actually calculated the Charleston comorbidity index. For those of you who are not aware, the uh, Charleston score is, is a, a very commonly used score to look at acutely ill medical patients. It's, it's kind of analogous uh, to the Apache 2 score for uh, patients in the, in the ICU, where it gives us just kind of a general idea and, or a numeric index of, of kind of how sick patients are in general. They also calculated cardiovascular risk scores using the Framingham scoring calculator. They then developed a propensity match score, and they actually, with all this data, we're able to match the statin group and the active comparator group, again, the PPI and H2 blocker, at a ratio of one to one using an amazing 93 variables chosen a priori. And they're all the variables you could think of, and certainly you can go to the paper and take a look at it. But, you know, height, weight, age, gender, medications. So, I mean, again, 93 variables in this matched a cohort one to one. So, you know, pretty impressive. And again, really only able to do that when you have this level of, of data and data extraction in, in your system, basically. They then performed multivariate logistic regression analysis and basically uh, used that to compare the two and then kind of dived in some, some more complex statistics to, to kind of uh, compare the, the two groups. And then they looked at their analyses and, and, and they did several different types of analyses, again, to try and I think to, to minimize uh, confounding and to try and tease out any sort of differences as far as doses and things along those lines. So they had several cohorts, so, so they had the two groups, but then they did several analyses. Their first analysis was, again, just the two cohorts. 
cohorts. Then they did a, uh, an analysis of what they call the healthy cohort. So they looked at patients with no comorbidities in the Charleston comorbidity index at baseline. Then they looked at different dosing of the statin. So is there a dose relationship here? And so they actually had three different analyses where they looked at patients who were receiving high intensity, moderate intensity, or low intensity statins, which they used as, as a standard definition. Uh, so they had a different analysis of those as used. And then finally, they looked at an ever user versus a never user cohort. So they basically excluded patients who started as active comparators and then crossed over to the statin group. As I said, they did that to minimize confounding bias, but they also did another analysis where they took those patients completely out to see what was going on, basically. So again, a very elegant and complex design designed to basically try and minimize confounders and, 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 and minimize anything that might uh, account for some of the results they were going to see. So then kind of getting to the baseline characteristics and looking at the baseline characteristics, when it, whenever you have a study this large, they might find statistically significant significant differences between the groups, but on the whole, the numeric differences were actually very similar. So on the whole, in this giant cohort, the average age was about 60 years old. As you might imagine, this being the VA, 95% of patients were male, about 68% of patients identified as white, about 21% identified as Black or African American, and about 7.4%, about uh, they actually didn't have the data on. Uh, ethnicity, they also looked at Latino patients as well, and those numbers were well matched between the two. And then they went into, again, this long chart of comparators as far as comorbidities and things along those lines. Blood pressure was similar between the two groups. The vast majority of patients had BMI somewhere between 25 and 40, and about a quarter of, of both groups had a BMI between 30 and 35. About 23% in both groups actually had obesity listed as a ICD-9 code. About 50% of both groups, both the statin group and the active comparator group, had diabetes at baseline. And those numbers, again, almost were exactly the same. And as far as complications, whether that's DKA or any of the other complications with diabetes, the numbers, again, were very, very similar between the two and the, and the overall cohort. Their cardiovascular risk and history of cardiovascular disease, very, very similar between the two as well. And, and on the whole, People that had a prior myocardial infarction was about 0.3%. People who had known coronary atherosclerosis was about 12%. And then other ill-defined heart disease was about 1.7% between the two, basically. So that was, that's the overall cohort. Again, very, very similar. Uh, they also did, as I mentioned, uh, looking at a diabetes prevalent cohort. So basically patients just who had diabetes, so about 50%, they did a separate cohort analysis looking at those statin patients compared to active comparators. And again, the numbers were very, very similar between the statin user group and the H2 proton pump inhibitor group when you looked at this. So bottom line was that, you know, when you have these many patients in a study, uh, you're going to see very, very similar outcomes and very similar numbers in, in a baseline a level. When take a look at the patients who had diabetes, uh, what kind of medications were they on? Because this is the VA, probably not that surprising that 50% of patients were on either metformin or sulfonylurea. Given the fact this was done between 2003 and, and 2015, that's not all that surprising, I don't think. I mean, because of that, very, very few patients were on other medications. For example, uh, there was nobody on an SGL2 drug. The, the uh, timeline they looked at was before those drugs even were out or when they were just starting on the market. And very few patients were on any other types of medications. 
patients. So the vast majority of these patients were on metformin and sulfonylurea when they had diabetes, and about 13% of them were on any insulin. They were also on all the other medications you might expect. About 30% of them were on ACE inhibitors, about 6% were on ARBs, and about 20% of them were on beta blockers. So again, very similar. And then finally, before we kind of get into the results, uh, you probably would be interested in, in their cholesterol. So LDL cholesterol in the statin user group was 119, and in the active compared group was 101. That stands to reason, right? Why would we put patients who had essentially normal LDLs on statin? So it stands to reason that the statin court would have a higher LDL than the active comparator group. And that number is kind of held true with the diabetes prevalent cord as well. So just in the diabetic patients, the uh, mean LDL was 111 in statin users and 96 in the H2 proton pump inhibitor group. So again, fairly similar numbers between the two cohorts and then the different analyses. So then we get into the, the results. What did they find? Did they find that there was an association between a statin use and worsening control or increasing complications associated with diabetes? So looking at the primary analysis of the study, uh, they actually found, yeah, pretty much across the board, statin users had a significantly increased odds of diabetes progression. And in fact, in the overall analysis, so just looking at the patient's who were on statins compared to the H2 proton pump inhibitor block, there was a 37% relative risk increase in the odds of diabetes progression compared with non-users. And when they took a look at the individual components of diabetes progression, again, the five uh, blood glucose readings over 200, the development of DKA or new onset diabetes, that was also very similar. So increasing glucose lowering medication class, there was a 41% relative risk increase of that in statin users. New insulin starts was a 16% relative risk increase. The presence of persistent hyperglycemia was a 13% relative risk increase, and a new diagnosis of ketoacidosis or uncontrolled diabetes was a 24% relative risk increase. And again, when they looked at, at the secondary analysis, the, all those individual markers were also elevated. And then when they looked just at the diabetes patients, they found basically the exact same thing, that somewhere between you know 15 and 30% relative risk increase in, uh, in diabetes complications. So basically, overall, whether they look at just statin users and the active comparators or just diabetes patients who had either on statins or active comparators, they found, again, roughly a 10 to 30% increase in either diabetes progression or basically just worsening of diabetes control in the diabetic patients. So certainly you can dig down in, into the results a little more if you want to take a look at the paper yourself. But with these kind of numbers, as you might imagine, those were all statistically significant and to quite a degree, again, when you're looking at what were about 100,000 patients in the diabetes cohort prevalent and 160,000 patients in the overall cohort. Probably not surprising that even those teeny tiny changes will, will give you a statistical significant difference. So that leaves us to what do we take from this? So the authors point out that this is probably one of the largest studies ever done trying to find the association of statins in diabetes control. They feel that this, the study had many strengths that they, they tried to use definitions that were clinically relevant or were identical to definitions used by major organizations such as the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, et cetera, et cetera. They felt like this was a pretty generalizable group, at least when we're talking about, about older males. Again, they point out with 94% males, it might be difficult to apply this to, to females, but you know, again, there, there's that. They take pains in their discussion to discuss what would probably be concerns about their 
your trial. And again, the big one is, of course, that no matter how you design a retrospective cohort study, you're never going to be able to show causation. It's only going to be able to show association. And there's just there's nothing to be done about that. But again, uh, when we're talking about studies of average drug reactions, sometimes that's the best data you're ever going to get. Because again, it's, it's rare to get a randomized control trial that just looks at average drug reactions. It might be part of a study that looks at efficacy with the drug, but you're never just going to do a study really for safety that's a randomized control trial. That's, that's actually pretty rare to do. So they argue that, yes, they, they won't be able to prove causation, but this is basically one of the biggest studies ever done and done to match for a wide variety of potential confounders. They point out, again, that they took pains to try and minimize the, the, the confounders that could be found by matching all those uh, one-to-one potential confounders and the propensity score match analysis and to do this active comparator, which does decrease the risk of confounding by indication. So they, you know, they point all that out in their study. That being said, I think the authors themselves, and they've been interviewed now several times about this, point out that, again, they are not trying to go out of their way to say that statins should not be used in diabetic patients, and I completely agree with that. The point of this study was not necessarily to say that diabetes are bad in diabetic patients, and in fact, the the outcomes in the study weren't outcomes of diabetes, right? They didn't look at patients who had, you know, heart attacks or people who had worsening kidney function or people who had eye problems, people had neuropathy. They didn't look at the outcomes of diabetes. What they literally wanted to show was, is there an association with statin use and just worsening control of diabetes or uh, patients who might have a new diagnosis of uncontrolled diabetes or DKA? That's what they were really trying to look for the association for, and, and they did find that. And I think that reading the study a couple of times, I have a hard, you know, there's, I couldn't really find anything wrong with the study or, or any real concerns other than the fact that, again, it's a retrospective study. I think what I would probably take away from this trial, and I think what the authors have said as well, is that the point of this trial is not to try and convince people to stop taking statins. And in fact, there's been some concern in social media that this paper, once it kind of you know gets gets around on popular media and in, in the news and stuff, will cause patients with diabetes to like rethink being on that. And I think if you're a provider or a pharmacist and you get these questions and they say, well, what about this new paper that came out? This is diabetes, that statins makes your diabetes worse. I think the answer to that question is what this study basically showed was that statins are associated. We don't know they cause it, but statins are associated with a small increase in, in blood glucose, as we've known for, for several studies, and that over a period of time, that may lead to a more intensification of blood glucose therapy. You might need more drugs to treat it, or you might be more likely to start on insulin, or you might be more likely to have uncontrolled diabetes. But this study did not look at hard outcomes. The study did not look at whether that worsening automatically led to heart attacks, strokes, eye problems, kidney problems, things along those lines. And so in patients who already have known cardiovascular disease, the authors point out, and I agree, that they are not saying to stop taking statins. And in fact, the benefit of statins is still going to far outweigh this outcome, even if it was causative. And again, we don't know that for sure. But even if it was causative, the benefits of, of statins and secondary prevention, people who've had cardiovascular events, is well known and is going to outweigh way that. What they point out in the paper is that if you were to try and do kind of a number needed to harm, and, and they use something called the Bender and Bletner formula, because normally you can't do number needed to treat number needed to harm in these kind of studies, this formula allows you to kind of do an estimation of that. And they found that the number needed to be exposed to statins for an initial person to experience the outcomes that they found in the study was 13. So I think what that means is that I think it is probably reasonable, and it'll be interesting to see what ADA does and some of the other big guidelines 
makers do with this data? You know, will they end up recommending if it's for primary prevention, if it's for patients who have not had a cardiovascular event, maybe this is more of a case-by-case basis. Maybe you discuss things with your patient and say, you know, there's a benefit, there may be a risk, we don't know that for sure, but you know, the benefit probably isn't as big in primary prevention with statins as it is in secondary prevention with statins, so that benefit may be a little bit harder to discern as kind of a blanket statement, and so maybe a better way to go about things is having kind of a case-by-case discussion with patients and say, okay, you don't have known cardiovascular disease, we know that statins, there's data showing that that helps patients, but is there is it a possibility that it may actually slightly worsen your control of diabetes? And, and I think that's the conversation that I think providers and pharmacists really need to have with their patient diabetes based on this study. And again, you know, ADA's guidelines will come out here in just a couple of months because they come out every January. It'll be interesting to see what happens with those as, as we kind of go along. So. So basically, bottom line of the study, you will probably get asked about it, I suspect, because again, it seems to be making the rounds in a lot of media. I think what you can take away from the study is it's the largest study and probably the most elegantly done study ever to look at the association. And there does seem to be an association, not in a hugely strong association, but definitely an association of increased risk of worsening diabetes control and increasing intensity of diabetes treatment in patients who are receiving statins for those or not. I think the answer that you have to kind of come up with at that point is do we blanket give statins to everybody with diabetes or in patients where the risk benefits a little bit harder to discern you have a kind of a conversation to help make that information now I know a lot of the providers listening are like so does this mean that I'm not going to get graded or the pharmacists are are not going to get graded you know when a patient with primary prevention with statins you know it gets put on a statin is that going to be on my report card or not well like I said if if ADA changes their their stance on this that actually might change some but until now certainly do not remove your patient uh, from statins. I think the next move at this point is to see where the big organizations are going to go with the recommendations and how they go from there. So that does it for this episode of Game Changers. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week, but until then, remember time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. Thank you for listening then. Claim your CE credit by clicking on the link in the show notes below and check out CE Impact's other education at ceimpact.com. We curate the most important information in pharmacy and medicine and then deliver it to you. Join today and connect your learning to practice.